Bitcoiners, welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. I just sat down with two fantastic entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin space. I sat down with Stephen Dodge and Ian from BYOD. Ian and Stephen are building out a data exchange that is powered by Bitcoin. They think that they can leverage Bitcoin's decentralized storage stack as well as Bitcoin's decentralized money in order to create a better way, a better product for both consumers and advertisers to interface with each other and, you know, market and sell their data. Right now, the way it works is that we are the product as consumers. All of our data is being scraped and then all of these platforms are monetizing it for themselves, right? They're using us as a product and their advertisers are advertising on, let's just call it a less than ideal, a less than put together data set, right? They're working with Facebook, they're working with Twitter, they're working with Google, they're working with different, you know, live ramp and other um, ad managers and, and data management platforms. And it sucks on both ends. Like the current situation on the internet, internet advertising is just not good for anyone, except for maybe the, uh, the monopolistic internet companies that, you know, have a stronghold on these network effects and this data. But BYOD fixes this, right? Bitcoin fixes this. The infrastructure that is being uh, built because of Bitcoin, because Bitcoin exists and is kind of enforcing that incentive, is hopefully going to make a better and more equitable solution. Uh, Ian and Steven think that they have that solution. They think that BYOD is that solution. And interestingly enough, they are building their solution on the Stacks blockchain. So Stacks anchored into Bitcoin giving functionality to new types of apps and dApps and things like that that we've seen on altcoins. So it's amazing to see this iteration of the Bitcoin ecosystem coming together, competing, absorbing features that make sense and providing the the libraries and the technical infrastructure that these app developers need. Uh, you guys, I think you're going to like this podcast. I thought it was really interesting hearing about how BYOD is solving this problem. And I'd be interested to hear from the listeners. What do you think? Does this sound like a solution you'd be into? This is does sharing your data at all something that you want to do? Is this direction that you think the decentralized web is going to go? Or are they completely off base? I want to hear it all. DM me. Let us know what you think of BYOD. Go hit up these guys, Steven and Ian. Check out BYOD.exchange. Uh, and yeah, enjoy this podcast. Peace. Bitcoiners, welcome back. I'm sitting across the screen from Stephen Dodge and Ian Major from the BYOD project. I'm really excited to have these guys on to talk about how Bitcoin is going to be impacting the world of data and so much more. Bitcoin is that kind of revolution that it really intercepts into everything uh, and infiltrates into everything that is on the internet and we need it. So uh, without further ado, let's just get right into introductions. Stephen, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, no, thanks for having us. Um, yeah, Stephen Dodge, um, based out of Richmond, Virginia, uh, the founder of BYOD, um, have a systems engineer background uh, and, uh, you know, got into Bitcoin probably five, six years ago, kind of got out of college, um, had a Cisco networking and security background and just thought it was, you know, pretty interesting to see, you know, how blockchain just consensus was met um, just from my kind of, you know, networking background. And uh, yeah, you know, I'll let you go. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks again for having us on. Uh, my name is Ian Major. In my previous life, I worked as a business consultant, uh, helping companies kind of test and analyze the impact to new business initiatives. So think, you know, experimentation, data analytics. As part of that, I also got quite a glimpse into this kind of cobbled mess of uh, our current digital marketing paradigm, which is one of the areas we really want to disrupt with BYOD. Um, similar to Steven, you know, first became aware of Bitcoin a few years back, but really it was 2019 that I Kind of fell down the rabbit hole and uh, have been aggressively tumbling like a rag doll ever since. Uh, also do a YouTube channel and uh, talk about all things Bitcoin uh, and wish I was as cool as BTC session. So it's cool to be able to spend ever more time thinking about and uh, and now building uh, around uh, around Bitcoin. Yeah, well, gentlemen, I'm excited to talk about how BYOD and Bitcoin are gonna you know help bring some transparency and. Uh, I guess just justice back to the web, if you will. I, th I feel like the fact that the web has been it missing, you know, native money is why it's kind of developed into this uh, to toxic clickbait wasteland. Uh, but I guess before we kind of jump into how Bitcoin and BYOD fixes, 
you know, this, why don't you in your own words kind of describe, you know, what you all see is like wrong with the current internet stack and, uh, and advertising models on the web. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll just pass it to either of you to kind of jump in. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it's, you know, and I think you'd probably say it best too, but you know, it's no, it's pretty obvious, you know, that we are the product these days. There's this whole freemium model that you get, you know, with Google services, you know, any service really, um, that you are the product, uh, that they're just taking that data and, you know, maybe not outright selling it, but, you know, they at least you know, sell audiences and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, I think the, I think the real, you know, kind of crime or, you know, issue at hand is just how unaware people are and what, you know, what they're, one, their data is worth, but just how it's being used and how it's, you know, kind of, you know, facilitating this, you know, bad relationship, if you will, um, and the way the internet's been built and structured um, just because of this freemium model. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the pain points that, you know, have come, have been kind of masked or, you know, people just say, yeah, I don't care. You know, if there's like a data breach or something. Um, you know, we just saw one the other day with the, with the um, was it the Pegasus spyware that just came out like a day or two ago or saying, you know, like, hey, people are, you know, spying on your phones, texts and everything like it's just kind of become numb to it. Um, but I think, you know, in the near future, you know, as everything is just increasingly digital, people are going to become more aware of, you know, just how, uh, how scary that can be. Um, you know, if data gets into the wrong hands. So I think like that's probably the biggest thing that I personally want to go after is just making people more aware of the, you know, vulnerabilities in their data and the way that this is structured um, and just actually how valuable it is. And, you know, the companies that are making billions upon billions using their data, you know, you should get a little cut of that. Yeah. And for, and for me, there's like a sovereignty element here as well, right? I mean, if our data is this kind of extension of us in into cyberspace, um, you know, there's this question of, of kind of self-sovereignty, and that's really part of the mission statement for BYOD. And I also think this whole kind of paradigm of, you know, being on some web application, whether it's Twitter or what have you, and, you know, you have advertisers just sort of sneaking messages in, right? It's like this very inauthentic experience. Um, and I think we can all kind of acknowledge and appreciate how valuable commerce is and trade and exchange. But it seems like, you know, this whole kind of uh, degree of inauthenticity with which we interact with businesses online via this kind of advertising paradigm um, really erodes, you know, trust, integrity, uh, et cetera. So I think it goes kind of really, you know, quite quite deep when you think about it. Just to piggyback on that real quick too, like the other piece that, I, that you know, it's just mind, I mean, to me, when you see these, you know, brands and businesses trying to, you know, push things into your feed, you know, it's just hilarious that there's like really no feedback loop. Like it really is just a guessing game. Like I already have these services or I've already bought this product and you just still get the advertisements. Like what a waste of marketing dollars, bandwidth, just again, just seems like it's so disconnected um, from reality. You know, even some of the, my favorite, you know, I'll say Bitcoin brands and I still get advertisements and I'm like, I'm never either going to buy this or I've already bought it. Like stop pushing it to me. Um, so I think that's like, you know, and inefficiency as well in the market. Yeah, I mean, and I can just add, you know, running Bitcoin Magazine as a Bitcoin-oriented media company, you know, monetizing outside of the traditional kind of like Google AdWords uh, display ad model. Um, it's tricky, right? Because it's, it's easy to, to take the money now and it's difficult to build an alternative business model. And, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of people are, are just kind of both numb to, but also just accept that this is how the web works, right? And you even get the people who are like, oh, well, I mean, I want them to have my data so that way they can tell me what, you know, I want and they can help personalize my ads for me. I'm like, all right, <laughs> well, um, you know, you clearly have no idea what the problem is here and, you know, what the second, third order effects are. Um, but yeah, I guess just to kind of like add to that, like, you know, where does Bitcoin come in? Like, how does Bitcoin and, and what you're building, BYOD, um, start to make some inroads into solving, uh, let's just say, this unhealthy relationship between uh, consumers, uh, the big web uh, and internet companies, and then the data that's kind of being slushed around in between? Yeah, so I go first. The, um, yeah, I think Bitcoin is, you know, really the the strongest incentive that we could think and provide, just given that, you know, you know, Bitcoin, you know, is the soundest, hardest money that we've had, um, you know, take price appreciation and dollars, whatever fiat you want to say out of the, you know, out of the equation. But, you know, if it's an incentive and the, kind of the ultimate source of truth, you know, everything settles on it. I think it's the strongest incentive we can provide, you know, 
people like us that are obviously knowledgeable and you know, aware of the situation, um, but you know, everyday people as well to break these kind of dynamics between you know your relationship with the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's, you know, Googles, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and if we can, you know, provide that incentive to earn Bitcoin in exchange for your data in a very opt-in manner, or at least you know, a, maybe not just purely opt-in, but just like saying, hey, I have some level of insight and control over how my data is used and I can either, you know, port it out of these, you know, existing platforms and port it into hopefully a new one that, you know, we hope we are, you know, one being a part of this large ecosystem and building, um, that that is the incentive that can break, you know, again, this, what I think is going to come to an end, hopefully in the next, you know, several years, um, you know, the, again, the relationship between our data and these platforms. So that's where I think Bitcoin comes in first is the incentive, um, you know, to get people to port their data out and kind of you know, start earning something for it. Um, but then what comes, you know, in the future, I think there's, you know, we have a lot of ideas and concepts and iterations, but I think you know, that's kind of TBD. And, and and one of those as well is like, when you think about the storage of the data itself, right? I mean, we can all acknowledge that um, decentralized data storage is better than centralized data storage. And so, you know, look at the nodes sitting back there, right? A lot of folks are rocking a one terabyte, um, you know, hard drive on their node. And so with the, you know, Bitcoin blockchain sitting at what, about 350, give or take uh, gigs currently, there's quite a lot of underutilized space on the, um, you know, on nodes. And so can we use Bitcoin nodes to create a decentralized data storage network um, akin to what, you know, some folks may be familiar with, with like Filecoin or storage, um, but do so on a fundamentally, you know, kind of Bitcoin based uh, tech stack and, and hardware stack. So like, that's like part of this vision is not just empowering individuals to take more control of their data, uh, hopefully monetize it, be able to have a novel way to stack sats, but also create this kind of decentralized data layer um, for the modern web kind of built on Bitcoin. Yeah, because you kind of see this, you know, a lot of altcoins and, you know, other projects while, you know, I think their overall goals are good and, you know, um, admirable you know it's just they, they've always come you know either like that is a good example you know the brave browser um you know there's something called swash like all these other blockchains and tokens that have kind of taken a stab at this but like you know it's usually a token that's not very appealing or no one's ever heard of it you know it's maybe a penny a couple pennies or something so it's like you know it's not going to be very attractive um and two they've kind of just you know i wouldn't say set the bar low but they've offered very limited uh, functionality and kind of scope of what their product does. Like, you know, Brave, a good, you know, good stab at it, but like good luck beating Chrome, you know, out or Safari out right now. Like a lot of people do use the Brave browser, but, you know, why couldn't you maybe do like a, a browser extension or something with Bitcoin, you know, being kind of the um, the enabler there. And then there's, you know, other things, like you said, you know, there's obviously Filecoin and storage doing uh, de decentralized data storage, but, you know, you've always heard that, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have like smart contracts and things like that, you know, from other uh, projects, but you know, if you've, you're probably familiar with Stacks, which we're actually building on, um, but Stack solves for a lot of that. So we're hoping we can kind of be one of those last pieces that really helps Bitcoin, um, you know, just provide that full full tech stack of you know everything that you would possibly need, kind of in this Web three world um, that everybody you knows talking about in the future. Yeah, I mean, one thing that when both of you were kind of talking, especially you, Ian, about um, the Bitcoin infrastructure potentially, you know, laying the groundwork for other use cases. Um, you know, I've said this many times that Bitcoin is the uh, the catalyst for building out the decentralized infrastructure, both on, from an energy perspective, you know, from like, uh, you know, energy facilitation, but also uh, in order to give people the incentive to actually self-host, right? Like self-hosting was something that was like required when the internet began. And then it, it almost got phased out as like the cloud and the centralization across that um, just became so, uh, so much more efficient, right? But Bitcoin and private keys and money being information, like that is the incentive to like, hey, I need to know this hardware. I need to have this hardware in a place that I control uh, and, and I need to minimize trust there. And that's kind of like this mesh networking uh, kind of infrastructure that you know it, it's difficult to catalyze it's difficult to to just get going and this is where all the altcoins kind of fail as well it's just this this uh high time preference we need to build it now and uh and you know they're not willing to like let the layers kind of settle which is what's happening in bitcoin today
Yeah, that's well said. I have nothing else to add. Um, That's really right. I mean, you know, if you think of the, you know, if you think a lot of nodes today as as this kind of like underutilized asset, um, you know, that that then becomes a pretty easy kind of mental leap for why someone, you know, would be willing to uh, apply that hardware to some other use case, be able to, you know, stack sats as a result of that. Um, And so I think there's a ton of potential with, yeah, everything you said, lots of exciting stuff happening, you know, via the Lightning Network. And so, um, you know, we're, we're hoping we can be a part of it. So just to kind of like pivot this into BYOD specifically, um, you mentioned, Stephen, that you're building on top of Stacks, which is a smart contracting uh, side chain for Bitcoin, uh, as well as several other um, kind of L2 layers. Can you just talk about like, what's happening in the Bitcoin ecosystem and why is this like the right time for a solution like BOD to start coming together? Yes. I mean, like, you know, Stacks is, you know, cause they launched their you know, 2.0 mainnet, I think January of this year or something, but they've been around for you know, a while. Um, but just seeing the maturity of that platform one, you know, it's come a long way. So it's one exciting times just because you know, enabling this, like you said, you know, these smart contract features, apps to be built and still natively settle on Bitcoin. Um, but I think, you know, the exciting piece now is just that it's, it's just still so early, you know, it's like, there's so much to be built and so much stuff that's already being built now. Um, I think the, you know, exciting stuff that, you know, where BYOD comes into play is, you know, we're, um, not piggybacking off of, you know, we're leveraging stacks and, you know, that ecosystem, um, especially when something coming to like to data ownership, right. Um, you know, we're building a web app, you know, it's using that we'll use clarity, smart contracts for you to essentially be able to. Uh, lease access to your data um, from a willing buyer or app that wants to consume that data, and you would, you know, ideally be able to be compensated, um, you know, in Bitcoin or you know, potentially stacks as well, um, you know, for any app or whatever that wants to consume that data. Um, so I think, you know, that's one one piece of BYD that's you know particularly exciting for me, especially when users really find out, you know, that you know if we are trying to kind of transition and move away from you know the current system. Um, into this new decentralized one, you know, there's lots of apps that are going to be built, you know, on Bitcoin and on stacks and they'll, you know, there'll be kind of new versions, you know, there'll be what we hope is, you know, kind of more of like an ad exchange where you could be that first decentralized, uh, you know, ad exchange, if you will, that, you know, will compensate, uh, you know, users for that data. And, you know, apps are, again, buyers want to use it, that they would be compensated for it. Because um, a lot of people, again, don't know how much their data is really worth. Uh, you know, Facebook, um, I think in their... 2020, it was like 2001 or 2020 or Q4, Q3, something. But essentially, they said, you know, hey, if a user is annually, you know, uh, worth about $250 to $450 a year for us, you know, that's, that's a good amount of money for somebody. Um, and you kind of cross, you know, do that cross platform data aggregation, Google, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, so on and so forth. You know, you're probably looking north of $1,000, you know, um, in value that you're, you're missing out on every year. Um, and that's just, you know, straight up just from like kind of marketing and advertising, um, dollars that are spent. So I think, you know, that's, what's exciting to me is that you know, we're really building a user owned and user controlled, um, you know, data layer that will, you know, compensate and, you know, everybody will benefit, you know, more evenly to be spread, spread around. So that's what I'm particularly excited about and where kind of BYOD really fits in. Yeah, I mean, some of the, as you said, like these layers sort of settling, you know, it's it's the it's the gradually then suddenly meme, right? With with all these pieces, and so you know, 2.0 uh, stacks mainnet, as Stephen noted, going in in January. And you look at what's possible. Um, they're doing their accelerator program, and you look at the kind of breadth of companies and use cases that are sort of going through that and building on Clarity. Um, I mean, it is it's really really exciting, and it's moving unbelievably fast. Uh, and so I I think that that timing is really what helps enable some of these more complex use cases when you start to think about data ownership and, and sort of data sharing in the context of, you know, smart contracts, et cetera. So uh, I, th- I think that the timing couldn't be better. A big thing too about this is like what we're hoping to provide and what, you know, we would, you know, we know, and it's maybe not for everybody, like there's definitely going to be you know, privacy concern, people that are never going to use or you know, want to sell their data. That's fine. But just hopefully the ease and ability, ease of ability, we can allow somebody to port kind of their existing digital footprint and profile into this kind of new world um, should be fairly easy, actually. Um, you know, these big tech platforms have kind of shot themselves in the foot due to you know, 
GDPR compliance and um, just other you know privacy rights that they have to abide by. Um, but you can go into Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, you know, so on and so forth, and just literally you know download your data. Um, they have to make it very easy and comes down in this nice structured format, you know, JSON or HTML, and then you just plop it into BYOD, and we're kind of creating you know this very you know unique data set that's never been aggregated before, you know, because you know LinkedIn's not going to share data with Google, Google's not going to share you know their data with Facebook, so really anchoring the data to you as a consumer. It's one, the first time it's really been done, but two, it's just hopefully very easy to port and kind of start anew in this, you know, Bitcoin enabled world. All right, let's take a quick break from that episode. I want to tell you guys about our sponsor. It is Bitcoin 2022 conference. I am sure you saw the videos. You may have been there in person. Bitcoin 2021 was an absolute smashing success. It was the biggest conference in Bitcoin history, crypto history, whatever history of the digital asset sphere, Bitcoin is number one and the Bitcoin 2021 conference is number one with a bullet. It was an absolutely incredible time. I was working my ass off the whole time, but I got to meet so many incredible community members. And I think the best testament to how amazing Bitcoin 2021 was, was not just all of the amazing, you know, accolades and, uh, and compliments that I got personally and our team got, but also it's the skin in the game in Bitcoin 2022. We have already sold close to 1,500 tickets. That is more than 10% of the people, everyone who went to Bitcoin 2021 have already purchased tickets to Bitcoin 2022. We have not released a date. We have not released a city. We have not released anything. That is the biggest compliment. That is the biggest skin in the game of the community being down for this conference. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be bigger than Bitcoin 2021. It is going to be better than Bitcoin 21 in every single way. And we are going to be bringing you the best opportunity to mingle with the biggest, the baddest, the most Bitcoin people on the planet. So join the revolution. Go to b.tc forward slash conference. Get your tickets today. I don't know what the ticket prices are. They are going up. I think they're $249 right now. We just rolled out fiat ticket uh, purchases. All the tickets purchased before today were all purchased in BTC. So get it, guys. Get it. Get this ticket. Be at Bitcoin 2022. See you there. Bitcoiners, I want to tell you guys about the Deep Dive. The Deep Dive is a new premium newsletter from the Bitcoin Magazine team in conjunction with my man, BTCization, Dylan LeClaire. Dylan is such a multifaceted, and wide-ranging analyst. He does everything from on-chain analytics to macro uh, analysis to uh, uh, you know hash rate and all that kind of good stuff. He does it all. He breaks down everything that's happening every single day with his daily dive. He's going to dive into what is happening in the market that day. So that way, you don't have to pay attention to Twitter. You don't have to pay attention to anything else. You can just pay attention to the deep dive, and he has you covered. And at the end of the week, guess what? You get a weekly recap. And at the end of the month, hey, we have a freaking report, a beautiful PDF breaking down all the activity of that entire month, what it means for Bitcoin, what you can expect moving forward. The Bitcoin market is going to moon. We are here to make sure that we maximize your stack. Go to members.bitcoinmagazine.com to sign up today. And if you use promo code BITS, you can get one month for free. So again, the deep dive. I've been checking it out every day and you should too. Back to the show. So I'm on your website right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you started to kind of explain at least like the initial manual process of downloading data from these providers, uploading them to create a kind of a uniquely aggregated profile on BYOD. I'm assuming bring your own data is the, uh, is the acronym there, but, uh, but, uh, you know, the end goal is you're trying to build this 24 hour marketplace. Can you just talk a little bit about like the, you know, the envisioned UX and feel of like how a consumer would actually do this, uh, maybe post uh, the beta phase. And, you know, when you guys are, feel like you're, you're more ready for, for the mainstream. Yeah. I'll say, you know, I can probably speak quick to it. And then if you wanted to get to it, I'd say the, the biggest piece right now is, you know, definitely that it definitely, you know, is going to have a more programmatic ability to kind of hopefully provide a feedback loop into the existing platforms. You know, with OAuth, we're trying to, you know, you can request a lot of you know, data from a, a, a 
you know, profile on a platform, you know, with certain OAuth scope and parameters. But initially downloading that data, like you're just not going to get that data set with OAuth or just anything else. Like you have to go in and download it. Um, like I don't really want your pictures or anything right now, but um, yeah, unfortunately it is just going to be that manual process of going in and downloading your data. Um, but really it is just a few simple clicks. Um, and then, you know, it comes in the zip file and just throw it in there. And then BOID, you know, we know what the structure of this data looks like because everybody's is typically the same. Like you might have some missing folders or something based on what you do on these platforms. Um, but then, yeah, once that's done, ideally, yes, you know, we'll have, you know, APIs or this will be you know, open source um, that there'll be other, you know, abilities to have other, you know, pl- platform services, whatever, um, what have you be able to consume and, you know, ingest this data. Um, so then there'll be kind of a more, you know, streamlined process from there out after you've taken that data kind of manually once. And then hopefully we can just, you know, incremental updates, um, you know, or just, you know, you're off of it for good. Um, but that's kind of the idea so far. But yeah, it's just a simple click, drag, drop, um, and then the, you know, marketplace that we're facilitating. That's more of a, you know, notification type system like you could set, okay, I want to, you know, offer up my personal information, you know, maybe my interests, my likes, um, you know, pages that I go to, you know, whatever they flagged as my ad interest and actually kind of do it a more of like a Tinder platform, you know, like, oh, this is a relevant you know, data element. This is not, oh, this is something I'm willing to sell. This is what I'm not. And then as, you know, it bids and offers come in, you'd say, hey, you know, Michael Kors or Nike wants to lease your data for, uh, you know, six months in exchange for, you know, $5 in sats or something. Do you approve or do you not? Um, you could also say so like auto accept or, you know, has to reach like a certain amount, things like that. Um, but it'd be a pretty, intuitive interface, easy to use. And, you know, as of right now, it is a web app, but we really want to make sure that it's, you know, mobile friendly, mobile first is you know, most people are on on mobile these days. Um, but that's that's the idea right now. And it's the scope of what we're building. You know, I, I think a big part of this is, of course, like helping individuals towards cr- the creation of data elements that are going to be, you know, extremely valuable. I mean, if you think of the common categories of sort of buyers today, yeah, of course, there's advertisers and you know data brokers. Those are probably two big categories. Um, and what we've heard from some of our initial kind of conversations with these types of entities is that, like, you'd you'd be surprised, right? I mean, it's a it's a hundreds of billion dollar industry uh, for for data brokerage, right? And so in the U.S., think of like the experience of the world, the live ramps of the world, the axioms, you know, data logics, all all these guys, and the sort of cobbled you know, view that they scrape together through all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, creepy methods, like the accuracy of that really ends up being quite poor. Um, And so you, the individual owner, as this kind of anchor point really does add significant value to that resulting data set. And so, you know, the, the, the most common kind of use case from a buyer side might be, um, you know, I would love to have a list of individuals that kind of share these traits um, right, like similar to what happens today, but the the big difference is we hope that this is just it's happening out in the open, right? It's me, the individual owner of data, willingly sort of sharing or leasing information about myself, and hopefully that comes back not just in the form of you know Sats as like explicit compensation, but also uh, even more kind of tailored um, products and offerings that you know I I actually care about. Uh, as opposed to what the big ad platforms think I care about or have inferred that I care about, um, when in fact that may not necessarily be true. And so, correct me if I, if I have this wrong, but from my understanding, you BYOD, you think that it's going to create a better data set, and you think that uh, consumers will actually kind of self-report and self, uh, you know, upload this kind of data. Uh, because it will give them the ability to monetize it directly. So from if you say you're going to improve two aspects, one, you're going to create a better product for the advertisers because they're going to have a cleaner self-reported data set, opt-in data set. Um, And then on the flip side from the consumer, the incentive for them to opt in is because at least, you know, if this data is being collected, scraped already, at least with BYOD, they can monetize it and earn sats. Yeah, I think that's a good recap. I mean, you know, for my kind of prior life as a consultant, um, you know, I would interact fairly frequently with, you know, senior kind of marketers in these organizations. And one of the big things they are really, really wrestling with, as you would guess, is around privacy, 
Um, and so the idea of being able to engage in this way with the actual end owners of the data is sort of by definition future-proofed in terms of privacy, right? It doesn't really matter how regulations evolve. If you're buying from the, the source, um, you know, then that, that helps, right? And that, that, that feels like a good hedge for them. We're certainly never going to kind of, uh, I don't want to say never, but out of the gate at least, we're not going to achieve the same sort of scale of the data set. Um, however, in terms of richness, accuracy, uh, we believe this will have a significant ad advantage um, that would, you know, entice some of these kind of buying entities uh, to to come in. Um, you sort of imply a really important note as well, which is like, well, how do you ensure that data quality? Like, what stops me, a user, from just kind of tossing a bunch of junk in? Um, and there's definitely kind of guardrails that that we can put in place to help with that. Um, there can also be kind of a two-way, um, almost rating or, or sort of scoring, right? If my data is found to, you know, be inaccurate or not quality, um, there could be kind of a feedback loop that uh, that kind of, you know, may score me, the user, as um, uh, as as maybe not fully truthful or, or whatever the case may be. So um, that's that's kind of how we're how we're thinking about it. Yeah, I'd say I agree. And, you know, we've seen other, you know, ideas, that, you know, just from speaking to people at the conference, but, you know, those two are definitely are the core scope of what we're going for now. But there's, you know, potential B2B plays as well. You know, businesses might be sitting on data, you know, that is, you know, typically not sellable. Um, you know, they can anonymize it. Um, so there's definitely B2B plays. But I think, you know, Ian, you hit on that point of, you know, just being kind of future-proofed or, you know, compliant for, you know, who knows what GDPR, you know, the California you know, Consumer Privacy Act or whatever um, that one is, you know, there's just a lot of, you know, I think value to the businesses as well as, you know, being very transparent and, you know, offering, you know, the data that they have uh, to their users, you know, just not simply, hey, I'm accepting all the cookies or, you know, I want to be able to just request my data. You know, I want to be able to have influence and control over it in a, you know, easy to use platform. Awesome. Well, I'm, I, you guys, I'm excited to see how this, you know, pans out. Uh, I think that, you know, having a native internet currency is going to enable a lot of use cases similar to this. That was just never possible before. Uh, even just yesterday, I uh, saw the Department of Justice like saying that they will potentially pay out anonymous contributors for helping them fight uh, ransomware with cryptocurrency. So like the fact that Bitcoin does exist as native money that you, you know, advertiser A can just send to user B, it was just never really possible. So it's, it's really awesome to just kind of see this coming together. I know, you know, the actual product has quite a bit of time between now and when you're projecting a launch. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the roadmap and, you know, when users can kind of expect to get their hands dirty? Yeah. So, I mean, we have early access sign up. We'd, um, you know, initially started building this in one manner and then we, you know, kind of started taking a second look at stacks kind of right before the conference. Um, and so we were like, all right, Stacks has come a long way. <laughs> Looks really good. Um, so we kind of scrapped what we were building it on. So we're not necessarily starting from ground zero, but um, yeah, doing a rebuild, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, the hope is, you know, let's say optimistic end of the year, but more than likely Q1 of next year, um, just because we're really kind of focused in on this this node operating um, uh, kind of phase right now where you, if you're a node operator, like, can we at least get this kind of, you know, base level of, you know, node operators to store data, um, facilitate this decentralized, you know, this marketplace. Um, but yeah, I mean, early access signups really help. Um, looking for feedback as well. Um, and obviously anybody from the, you know, community that would, you know, be interested in, in joining our team um, as we do run kind of two startups, um, but that would be interesting in helping us build it. Um, Clarity smart contract developers are uh, in high demand and not, uh, not much supply. So, um, that would be that would be one thing we would uh, definitely want to look forward for uh, look for. Um, other than that, Ian, I don't know if there's really too much else. We just kind of got our heads down building. Yep, I would say that's right. <laughs> okay, it's tell time. me a little bit. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about Stacks because you know I've I've spoken to Manib a couple of times, um, and I know that uh, with the Stacks 2.0 launch, it really implemented a, kind of this new level of direct connectivity to Bitcoin and the Bitcoin asset. Um, on the blockchain. Can you just talk a little bit about, um, you know, beyond the efforts that they're making, just like, what is it like building on Stacks? Uh, maybe what makes Stacks different than other alternative solutions like building on Ethereum, building on RSK, building on Liquid, 
building on lightning, you know, why stacks? What is it like? Just give me a little bit more uh, insight into uh, what impressed you so much about that ecosystem. Yeah, just their libraries, documentation, just, uh, you know, it's come a long way. It's pretty mature now. Um, you know, everything is much easier to build just given it's, you know, JavaScript. Um, you know, we were building the web app in Angular. And they have you know, libraries and whatnot for that. So that was just a plus. Um, we were originally actually trying to see if we could build this on storage, if anyone's familiar with storage, which again is a you know sound project like like what they were doing. Um, but we just didn't feel like we needed, you know, the storage token. Um, and it just had very limited, you know, functionality and what we needed. So when we looked over at Stacks, we're like, hey, this solves for smart contracts, solves for basically all the libraries that we would need. Build is just simpler. Um, and you know, with smart, you know, smart contracts with clarity, you know, is A is A. It's, you know, no guesswork yes. on what could be the outcome. So that's just uh, just much cleaner, just easier build. And the uh, accelerator is a big one too. We um, are hoping to get into the second cohort. We had just apparently missed the first one, um, but it looks like they have some cool projects and making a lot of progress with that. But our hope is that we can apply and um, maybe get in with the uh, the second one and start building with our team. Yeah, I think as you alluded to, Steve, like you know, clarity as a language itself versus you know solidity in the kind of Ethereum world um, certainly carries benefits for some of these more complex use cases being an interpreted language, um, you know, not being Turing complete. So you can kind of avoid, you know, certain bugs before kind of uh, deploying things. And so for all those reasons, I, I think it's a really uh, appealing ecosystem to, to build in and on. And the Stacks token is interesting too, just from the fact that you can, uh, we've thought about like just staking your data concept, but you can, you know, actually earn Bitcoin for, um, you know, uh, staking stacks. And, you know, there's an interesting dynamic there that I think would, you know, obviously be reciprocal um, to both. So we've been kind of toying with a couple ideas and ways to, you know, maybe enable something like that as well. Um, but it just seems like overall that ecosystem is just, you know, it's got the people behind it that we know, uh, you know, all know very well in the community. Um, but just from like a technical and build perspective, it's just, you know, a much clearer path um, and, probably less resistance than the one we were going for. So that'll be what we use. Um, and that's the plan we'll use for now. And I guess uh, just to kind of compare and contrast to maybe like a liquid or an RSK, what, why is why is Stack's ecosystem more appealing than theirs uh, to, to be building a solution like that? Okay. Go ahead. I was going to say like, I mean, Stack's really is like unique in that it's, you know, it's just kind of standalone blockchain. Um, you know, the hashes for its smart contracts are, you know, hashed into the Bitcoin blockchain. And so, you know, a Stacks miner have, is reading the state of kind of both of these, um, you know, both of these blockchains. And so the, I think there's certain advantages of that over um, something like a sidechain. There's definitely this like bootstrapping aspect uh, in relation to their consensus mechanism. So this kind of like proof of transfer consensus mechanism, um, wherein you basically have stacks miners that are expending Bitcoin, right, in a way that they're never going to get that back. And so in a way, it's sort of extending Bitcoin's proof of work. Um, and that helps, you know, that helps with this kind of bootstrapping uh, of the network, as opposed to like a merged mine, you know, chain, um, where you might have, you know, hash rate being dedicated both to Bitcoin you know, and this kind of merge mine sign chain or, or what have you. So there are, there are, I think, some uh, interesting challenges that Stacks solves for by being this kind of standalone blockchain, albeit anchored into Bitcoin for final settlement. Um, and so the way that they've built it is if you wanted to go and reorg the Stacks blockchain, like that is equivalent to needing to, you know, reorg the, um, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain, right, which is a sort of insurmountable um kind of task and so i think just the optionality that that as a standalone um you know not necessarily kind of side chain provides is is appealing that being said i i this space is you know evolving so rapidly that um i'm i'm sure there's i'm sure on both sides of of those different categories side chains standalone blockchains anchored into bitcoin right like we're going to see developments on kind of both ends and so it'll be really interesting to to watch
Before we get back to the episode, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Magazine is the oldest publication covering Bitcoin, and we've been covering Bitcoin since 2012. Y'all, I'm so proud to be working for Bitcoin Magazine. We spend all day trying to scour the internet for the top news, the top plebs, the top subjects, conversations, everything that has to do with BTC, the asset, BTC, the culture, BTC, the revolution. We are here for it. We are here for BTC and BTC only, and we want to give back to the Bitcoin community. Hit us up if you want to contribute. And uh, yeah, go follow us on Twitter. Go uh, subscribe to this podcast. Go follow us on YouTube. All of the places that you can find Bitcoin Magazine, we are there. Instagram, Reddit, everywhere. We're there. We're there. Follow us for the best Bitcoin knowledge. Back to the episode. All right. I want to talk a little bit more about something that you two brought up multiple times, which is, you know, data storage, privacy, how that kind of works. You know, you discuss, you know, interest in storage, which is uh, similar to Filecoin, which is kind of like this decentralized AWS, if you will. Um, That's you know, I guess just let's just talk a little bit about like this challenge that's ahead is like actually building up this infrastructure and you know, maybe even, you know, how the data is, is kept in a, a fashion that is like kind of secure uh, for the user, because obviously um, they are providing very sensitive information that, you know, maybe they're trusting Google or Facebook to hold on to. But those are very competent centralized organizations, if you will. And they're not bringing all that data together. It's not, you know, necessarily, you know, co-located and congregated in one place, you know, essentially is like, you know, BYOD could be building a massive honey pie. And that's why the storage aspect is so important. So I guess back to you, Stephen. Yes. I mean, the idea is like when you would say pop this data in there that if you, so like, I'm sure you're probably familiar with Umbrella, but you'd want it to be as easy as like, you know, install the BYOD app or something, um, you know, on your node. And then, you know, we would obviously need to parse and be able to kind of, let's say, you know, look through this data, obviously, but we would want to do all that on the client side. Um, kind of in you know, your own container and then figuring out, you know, whatever data that is, you know, whatever it spits out is valuable, whatever data elements, you know, come out in the UX UI, that you'd want to be able to say, okay, hey, again, this is the data that, you know, you have, this is what you want to keep, this is what you want to discard, you know, clean it for inaccuracies, whatever, kind of build this digital data profile. Um, and then, you know, we would store it kind of just like storage does where you do this kind of erasure encoding um, a bit where you take the file cut it up into a bunch of pieces, store a little bit here on this node, a little bit here on that node, a little more on this node. Um, and all that data is obviously encrypted. And then again, that's where, you know, smart contracts come into play. It's just, you know, hey, this data is not readable or accessible unless you have, you know, approved um, um, or granted access to it. And, you know, whatever those terms and conditions are, uh, you know, that viewer or reader, whoever, you know, is getting access to this data, um, whether it be an entity, person, service, platform, app, whatever, um, you know, can't view it until you've agreed to those terms. But that'd be the idea is like, again, we like storage the best just the way they did it. Um, just because, you know, again, breaking up this file, like if you had all your data on your node and that drive goes down, um, you know, sure you could have backups, but, you know, backups are getting pretty complicated as well. But like, you know, that, that data is gone. You might just start the whole process over again. So doing it in, you know, the way storage does it with the ratio encoding and, you know, again, scattering this data file, um, you know, data element, if you will, across many nodes, you know, it's much easier to rebuild um, and access and kind of, you know, de decreases the attack vector. So should be more secure, should be actually better performance. Um, obviously, once you start getting into like and other, you know, things of other nature, you know, then it could get complicated. But, you know, ideally, then we'd be able to uh, hopefully incentivize, you know, different maybe Raspberry Pi setups and configurations, maybe a little more RAM, you know, maybe a little more bandwidth or something, you get compensated in SATs or something for providing that. Um, so, you know, not necessarily taking the playbook from these, you know, other ones, but, you know, definitely learning and using, uh, you know, some of the value adds that they've, they've done. So that's what, that's what the hope is and that's how it works. Well, uh, I have to say that what they all get wrong is that they're not using uh, a money in their system and they're trying to like create this token in order to make it happen. And it's just that is the flaw of most altcoin projects is that there's a there's a little bit of just like a base uh, base misunderstanding of of money. Yeah, and some of these, you know, have gotten like pretty I mean they've definitely increase their use cases and like not saying we wouldn't you know go into this as well but you know some of these uh like biocoin you got to have some 
pretty crazy hardware if you want to be a miner um, for them, which is, you know, you're not, not talking a small expenditure, five figures, um, which most people won't have. So, you know, to start, you know, just simple files, you know, the ones we're getting, even if you downloaded and aggregated all of your data from all your social media profiles, if you took out the videos and images, like you're maybe at a couple gig, maybe that's a lot. Like these file sizes are not big. So um, if you're just, you know, kind of pinging and querying this data, you know, it should be pretty quick and, you know, we can have somebody else rely on kind of the compute, compute side of things um, in the future, but we'll, we'll see where it leads. And, and, and indeed, like some of the platforms you mentioned earlier, Stephen, um, you know, who have tried this kind of, uh, you know, monetization of your data aspect, right? I mean, they end up spending kind of half their time promoting, you know, this random token and then half the time building the product and, you know, right. and, it, and, it, and it somewhat shows. And so, um, you know, for not just that reason, but when you think of data as this sort of commodity in our kind of, um, you know, ever increasing digital world, like you need that to be inextricably linked to or linkable uh, to money, and and Bitcoin is that uh, is that money, right? And it's sort of proven itself uh, over time, and that's why we're really excited to um, you know to build on kind of a fully Bitcoin tech stack. Yeah, no other platform can or no other chain can say you know stack sats. You know, no nobody wants to. I don't even know fold file coins or stack storage tokens. <laughs> what stacks sats? Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, that's the layering thing, right? And yeah. uh, why why this needs to happen in layers. Uh, I have one more question just kind of about the product experience and then we can kind of wrap this one up. But I'm just curious, like how does how does leasing or renting data work, right? Like how, how do you give access to an advertiser to your data set and then reliably know that, you know, they're not using, you know, they're not essentially copying that and then just building yeah. their own profile of you? Yeah, so we ideally, you know, we want to facilitate, you know, be the marketplace, but we're not going to necessarily try to like matchmake, if you will, um, too much, like because we can't see that data. Um, but you know, it work. You know, obviously, we'd have APIs, or, you know, the ability to again kind of you know, feed this data to a buyer. Um, but it would be up to you. So you know, you have good examples. You know, again, just say Nike comes to you and says, "Hey, we want to lease your data for six months." You know, you could again set this to kind of you know like for lack of a better word, it's like programmatic access or, you know, they, Nike could only get the ability to like put their hands in the black box and, you know, tinker, manipulate the data, but they couldn't actually download, pull it down. Um, you know, kind of like a read only online, read only, if you will. Um, if a you know seller wants to offer a buyer them the ability to do that, like, so be it. Um, that's up to them. But um, the idea is that we would be building all those tools and services as much as possible on the buyer side so that, you know, they keep coming back to the platform instead of pulling it down and, you know, putting it in their own tools or whatnot. Um, you know, we want to keep them coming back. Uh, so that's that's really how we've envisioned it now is, you know, hand in the black box, have all the tools and services necessary to manipulate, and, you know, uh, do what you will with the data. Um, and then, you know, it can spit a meaningful output or, you know, you could connect to some other platform or service, um, you know, what have you. But yeah, the idea is that you wouldn't be able to take this data uh, off of it. Only the consumer has that ability. Um, otherwise it's, you know, you're kind of right back where you started. <laughs> and I think, and I think we're going to see, you know, ever more sort of perfection of that interaction model as we see more with like decentralized IDs. Um, I know I like ion, you know, project with Microsoft using kind of Bitcoin was, is a very interesting example of that, um, that's also within the stack stacks kind of scope. Um, and so I just think the, the sort of scat scaffolding and, and kind of execution that goes around that, whether it's like a, you know, ad execution, things like that, like it's just not sufficiently developed to make it like really, really, really clean. But I think we'll get there in, in um, pretty quick time. Uh, but that that would that would be like the ideal case is, you know, you're operating with these decentralized IDs uh, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to any kind of PII. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, it was it was great getting to learn a little bit more about BYOD um, and uh, you know a potential more equitable future for uh, for data usage and sales. Um, very interested to see you know how how this path kind of evolves with um, everything else that's kind of evolving in the ecosystem. But you know the best that we can do is just kind of watch and see and and see what happens with BYOD and other solutions. Uh, but until then, uh, again, really excited to uh, to have this solution getting built um and you know uh i guess what i'm trying to say is that like 
you know, as as this comes together, uh, you know, what the one thing I'm sure of is that Bitcoin is enabling a world that is going to hopefully be better than the one that's built on Web 2.0 and is going to just enable sure. better experiences and and uh, more control for the users. Totally agree. And we're excited to be a part of it you know? Um, you know, for kids and everyone, you know, family sake. Let's hope we can build this quickly. Uh, world's, yeah, let's hope so. world's looking a little nutty, but uh, we'll, we'll keep our heads straight and focus and uh, keep our heads down and build. Awesome. Well, Stephen, Ian, thank you again for coming on. I want to give you both Absolutely. each a chance to uh, give a last word to the Bitcoin Magazine audience. So let's start with you, Stephen. Yeah, no, again, appreciate the time. Um, definitely uh, enjoyed uh, talking to you here and definitely enjoyed our time um, you know, exhibiting and sponsoring at the, uh, the Bitcoin Conference in Miami. That was uh, quite a fun experience. Like you said, we are, I still think, recovering. <laughs> Some of our teammates, like we just met up this past week and we just looked at each other and we're like, uh, um, what a week. But um, it was definitely fun. And um, yeah, just looking forward to anybody that wants to uh, go to the site, uh, www.byod.exchange uh, for now. Um, and uh, if they want to sign up for early access, whether they're a, um, a buyer or a seller of data, um, we'll you know, send out an email uh, whenever the uh, product is about to go live. Um, and also just looking for anybody in the community that's you know interested in getting involved in you know Bitcoin you know, projects. Um, you know, we're definitely looking to uh, bring people on board that can help us build this quicker um, and more efficiently. So uh, definitely anybody, if they want to reach out, they can uh, reach out through there or just email me at Stephen with a P-H, S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot Dodge, D-O-D-G-E. And that's at regular.io, R-E-G-U-L-R dot I-O um, from our kind of parent startup. Yeah, I would just say shout out to the community. Thanks to those of you who have already kind of provided thoughts and uh, feedback on this. We would love to hear from more of you. Um, you know, shout out to the plugs for keeping us, uh, keeping us humble and hungry, uh, as always, but, um, we're really excited to be on this journey. And I think, you know, when we think about, um, a sovereign individual, uh, right. There's multiple elements to that. And we firmly believe that data really is this kind of layer that hasn't to date been talked about as much as, uh, the, you know, obvious monetary, uh, element of it. And so, um, we're excited to be on this journey and, and welcome any and all feedback input, um uh you know that that folks have so uh cheers awesome well again thank you too for for hopping on uh, i'll make sure to put everyone's twitter handles emails all that good stuff into the show notes so have no fear there uh to the bitcoin magazine audience thanks so much for joining in on this podcast you know where to find me at ck underscore snarks on twitter you can find all of our content at bitcoin magazine Peace. Awesome. See you guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.